Christ is the Lamb of God. Christ is the forgiveness. He is the priest. He is the King. And He is forever our hope. Are you in? Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be celebrating, whether you're joining us online or here in person. Man, we are here to make much of Jesus Christ. It is all about Him. It is His fame. It is His glory. It is what we're here to rally for. The church it actually comes from a word in the Greek. It means the called out ones. Our job, we are rallied together to make much of Jesus Christ. May we celebrate all that Jesus is. And all of God's people said... Amen, man. He is greater. Don't miss it. He is greater. And so as we go after celebrating him, that's the series we're in right now. Greater, Jesus, my sacrifice. Greater, Jesus, my sacrifice. And we're talking about Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, as our hope. He's the one who died for us and rose again. We have life and life eternal because of him. He is my sacrifice and there's none other like him, right? So as we're walking through the book of Hebrews, this is a little bit of what we're exploring. We're in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews right now. And uh, really just about done with this series coming to the end in the next couple of weeks here. And uh, it's just been an amazing walk through seeing the truth of Jesus Christ and all that he is. Now, as we've said before several times over, but the author who wrote the book of Hebrews, he was writing to Jewish people, right? That's why it's called the book of Hebrews, right? He's writing to the Hebrew people. And so he's writing to these Hebrew people, to the Jewish people who have trusted in Christ. They're now saved, but they came from this Jewish background. And there's some wandering and some wondering in their minds trying to figure out which way is right and what have I done and am I in the right spot? And he's basically reaffirming them saying, yes, you are in the exact right spot. Jesus is the answer. He's the reason. He's the hope. Yes, you're in the right spot. In fact, he takes all of these Old Testament truths and he shows them how they are but shadows pointing forward to Jesus Christ. So as you dive into the book of Hebrews, really a lot of what we're doing as we go through Hebrews is we're learning a little bit of the Old Testament in pieces maybe you didn't know, maybe you did know, right? We tend not to live that as much. It's not a part of our everyday life. So there's pieces that maybe we're not quite as familiar with. So that said, we want to make sure we know what we're talking about. So I I am your trailer, if you will, right? Like I've said several times, I'm your trailer. I give you a little bit of the heads up beforehand of what we're talking about. And so uh, what is the Old Testament truth that we need to grasp today so that this passage we're looking at makes a little more sense? All right, here we go. Ready? I'm your trailer. This is what you need to know. So as we head into a little bit of the Old Testament truth today, remember back, we talked about the tabernacle, right? That, that uh, place that the priests would come to be able to worship God. Nobody else from Jerusalem or, or Israel was allowed to be a part of that. Just the priests could go in there. And so the priests would enter in and they would have this opportunity to worship on behalf of the people and bring the needs of the people before the Father. They actually had a role to play. And so remember that tabernacle image that uh, we went through a handful of weeks back. If you think in when the priests entered in, there's the bread to the right side. There's the lampstand to the left representing Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And then there's this altar of incense in front. And so they would approach there and be praying twice a day at that spot. So the priests had jobs to do all day long. In fact, they worked in shifts. 
right? So if you're like a fireman or a police officer or a nurse or something else where you've worked shifts, you know what I'm talking about. You feel that they all had shifts to work. And here's the deal. This was one of the assignments of the priests. Whatever you had to do, you do your job, you do it well, and you never sit down. You are standing the whole time. You do the job the entire time you're on shift. You have a job to do. You represent the Father. There is ministry to take place. Never stop. Never sit down. Be prepared for your whole shift to go after it, all right? And so they had a calling, a very big responsibility. They were there to be able to represent the people to God, coming in and being like, sorry, I don't have time right now. I need a little break, right? That's not their job. You're here to do this shift. And so they were taking care of that duty along the way. No sitting down. No sit. Everybody say no sitting. Okay, it's going to be important to know that, and you're going to grasp a little more of that as we walk through the passage today, all right? Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 8. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 8, as we go after this today. And point number one, trust in Jesus and count on being sanctified due to his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, trust in Jesus and count on being sanctified due to his sacrifice on the cross. Here we go. It says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Uh, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And uh, we'll just hold right there. He says, when he said above... And he's actually connecting to the passage that he had just gotten done quoting from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. So he's like, hey, with that quote that I just gave, what he had said above, and then also just a little bit of, hey, this was a huge statement coming from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well. So above in that way as well, he's like, when he had said above, quoting now uh, what Jesus would have been saying and living out, right, the very life that Jesus Jesus lived and the words that Jesus would have been saying. He says, uh, Jesus quote now, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These were according to the law. Jesus saying to the Father, you hadn't desired these, these offerings and these sacrifices. This isn't what you're looking for. The thunderous statement Jesus was making was, All those animal sacrifices are not where the Father's heart was at. Can you imagine being Jewish and hearing that? Like you've been walking through all this Old Testament style living. You've been going through all the sacrifices. You've been doing all these things that the law says. And now you're hearing that basically Jesus' comment, that's not where the Father's heart is at. Like what are you talking about, man? That's everything we were doing. That's what we were going after. Jesus making it clear. It's not about the externals. It's about the internals, right? We talked about this several weeks back, but he's like, hey, those were shadows. Those were things that represented something. The father wasn't saying, I long to have an animal sacrifice. He was saying, heads up, there is coming a sacrifice that is going to rock your world. There is coming a lamb of God who is your hope. Man, this is everything for you, and it's coming. So Jesus Christ, the lamb, that's the real point, not the shadow, not the animal sacrifices. 
not those. He's like, he's not desiring those externals. Those were the shadow pointing to Jesus. He's longing for Jesus Christ to be the center of your life, and he's longing for the heart change that comes with that, right? He says, these things were not what's being desired. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Jesus saying this to the Father. Now, if you notice, the author here in the book of Hebrews is just walking through the statements that he had made piece by piece. He's setting up the quote that Jesus had said. We looked at that last week real quickly. Now he's going back through it, and phrase by phrase, he's walking through it, much like we do every week here when we open up the Word and we go phrase by phrase through what it says. Read it first, back it up, walk through nice and slow, make sure we grasp what it means. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. He's like, I'm an expository preacher right now, and I'm helping you understand what this means, peace by peace. He's like, first, all those Old Testament pieces are shadows. They're not the main point. The goal is to get to the heart of the matter, and more than that, Christ then says, behold, I have come to do your will. This is God the Son saying this to God the Father. He is saying, I have come to do your will, Father. So we have the Father's will over it all. We have Jesus coming down willingly, clothing himself with humanity, becoming a sacrifice for you and me. He died on the cross. He rose again. Jesus Christ, our hope, a willing sacrifice in this world. God the Father's will, God the Son's willing sacrifice, and ultimately God the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus Christ, glorifying the Son, calling us to our need in Jesus Christ, the whole Godhead wrapped together in salvation. God has a plan. Man, God loves you with all he's got, and he's pouring it in with all he's got. And Jesus saying here, I have come to do your will, Father. Why is that important? Those animal sacrifices are not where it's at. My sacrifice is where it's at. I have come, Father, to make that sacrifice available. I have come, Father, to do your will. And then he says, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. The first law, the first covenant, the first testament. Remember, we talked about all those words being interchangeable. Law, covenant, testament, all of those mean the same thing. They're an agreement between God and man and how he's going to work with them. And the old covenant, the old law, the old testament, all of that together brought this one agreement. Well, if there's going to be a new agreement, a new will, a new law, a new covenant, a new testament, for the new to come in, the old has to be set aside. You can't have two laws there. Imagine if you're thinking about like your last will and testament, and as you write up your will, you've got some things written, then you decide to change it. Maybe kids have aged, changed, and things in need of that way, and so you're going to address the will. You write the new one, well, then the old one has to be voided out, set aside. Now the new one takes effect. That's how it goes down. The old gets set aside, done away. The new is the way to go. That's exactly what's happening here in Jesus Christ setting aside the old covenant. And here's the deal. He didn't just set it aside by saying, yeah, that doesn't matter. He set it aside by fulfilling every piece of what the old covenant said. Jesus 
fulfilled it all. And as Jesus fulfilled all of the old covenant, now it is done and set aside in him. It's fulfilled. Everybody say, it's fulfilled. And it's fulfilled. It's done. It's settled. And Jesus has that managed. Now he's calling us forward to the new covenant under him, where he is the Lamb of God, where his blood covers our sin. Jesus Christ is our hope. There is a new covenant in him. It says, and by that will, we have been, been, been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. And by that will, we have been sanctified, made holy, set apart because of the work of Jesus Christ. We have this setting apart because he died once for all. Not over and over and over again, like the sacrifices of the Old Testament, once for all. Everybody say once for all. May we grasp that. Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, he rose again, and that's all that's needed. No more added to it. So when you look at the Old Testament, can you imagine being Jewish? And you can see it all. You can see that there's sacrifices. You can see there's blood covering. You can see there's forgiveness of sin. You can see there's somehow a hope forever with God. All these pieces coming together, and yet, how does it actually work? I mean, to be fair, for a Jewish person, looking at the shadows of the Old Testament, for some of you, this will resonate well. It's a lot like when you're playing Wordle and all the letters are yellow. You have all five letters. You just don't have the right order. And you're staring at it going, it's got to be there, man. I got it right in front of me. That's exactly what's going on. Some of you totally understand what I just said. And others of you are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Just look up Wordle when you get home. Go ahead and Google it, W-O-R-D-L-E, Wordle. Go ahead and look it up. It's a game online, it's on the New York Times. There is one word every day that the entire nation does. It's kind of like hangman as you walk through it. And now I've just wrecked your life as you go do that, all right, just so you know. So there you go. But I'm telling you, it's a lot like that, right? It's like they've got the whole thing right in front of them. They just can't quite see it. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying, hear me. Jesus Christ is the substance, and all of this is pointing to him. He is the solution. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service. Remember, we talked about this at the beginning. This is Old Testament style. Every priest, when he would come in, would have his work to do all day, and he would stand all day long. He would help with the sacrifices. He would do the prayers before the altar of incense, all of whatever his shift included, and he would stand the whole time. No sitting, Old Testament statement. Making a couple comments. One is, this is going to go on and on and on. Also to say the importance of it and all of that, but the on and repetitive nature of it. And it says that they were standing daily at their service. And then it says offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You heard me say this last week, but when scripture uses the word never, we really need to perk up and pay attention. And uh, it says it can never take away sins. Uh, how often? Never. This is a huge deal. That the work of the priests, that the sacrifices of the animals never take away sin. Man, may we grasp this. The animal sacrifices were but a shadow pointing to Jesus Christ. The animal sacrifices never, everybody say never, brought forgiveness of sin. 
In that moment, there was a setting aside of the sin and waiting until the time of Christ, and that is where the forgiveness comes from. In Jesus Christ and his shed blood, there alone is the forgiveness of sin. Everything else was pointing to him. Man, if you have read the Bible and you kind of got confused on it, and it looks like Old Testament is one way of being saved, and New Testament is another way of being saved, and, and that's not it. There is one way of being saved. Faith in God alone. To believe in God, to trust in Him, and to look forward to His forgiveness, that alone is the way of salvation, old and new. And we see it quoted in Romans, talked about of Abraham, that he believed God and it was counted in him for righteousness. The old believed and they counted on this forgiveness and it was looking forward to the time of Christ. There is one way to be saved and it's Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And all of God's people said, dude, that's a thunderously huge statement. There is never forgiveness through the animals those were shadows representing the forgiveness to come in Jesus Christ, okay? It says, when Christ had offered for uh, all time a single sacrifice for sins, right, once for all, when Jesus offered for all time a sacrifice for them, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ, when he ascended into the heavens, he sat down. Remember, the priests of the Old Testament always did their work standing up. But Christ, after making the sacrifice himself as the Lamb of God, then took that sacrifice up to glory 40 days later when he ascended into the heavens and he stepped into the presence of the glory of the Father, the tabernacle in the heavens, if you will. And as he stepped into the presence of the Father, he delivered up that sacrifice for you and for me. Once for all, all sin, past, present, and future, Jesus Christ offering it up as high priest, the once for all sacrifice made on the cross, it is finished. And now the once for all sacrifice offered up to God the Father in his presence as the great high priest once for all. And then he sat down. Man, if you read that phrase before and you saw that Jesus ascended into the heavens where he was seated at the right hand and you were like, well, I guess it was going to be a long wait, you know? I mean, it's a long time till he comes back, so maybe it was just a long wait. That's why he had to sit down. Or, or maybe he was just sitting on the throne, you know, like it's his throne, and so he's sitting on the throne that way, and no, man, here's what's being said. Work done. It is finished. Jesus is all we need. Man, there are so many religions that step up to the Jesus and plan. That is a dangerous move. Jesus only. Jesus is all we need. He is our sacrifice and it is offered up before God the Father once for all. So Jesus was seated saying, the priestly work is now done. Praise be to God. And this is a thunderous statement and an exclamation point to all of the Old Testament. It is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And all of God's people said, and it says, he is waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. In other words, that big task is done. 
Now there's another big task coming when he is going to put this world straight. Hear me, Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He is the ruler over all, and he will be coming again. Man, there's a point where he is going to stand up and get on that white horse, and he is coming into this world to put it all to rest. No more struggle with sin, all rebellion done, Christ putting all rebellion over, he will rule forever. And all of God's people said, amen, man, don't miss it. Jesus Christ will come again, and he is going to rule over all. And in that moment, it's going to be crystal clear where he stands and who stands with him. In fact, it says here, waiting until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. What's up with that? Well, we need to understand a little bit of the Hebrew culture if we're going to grasp that phrase, that they're going to be made a footstool for his feet. In Hebrew culture, uh, they chose the foot to be the kind of the representation of the body that was the most demeaning, the most filthy, if you want to say it that way. And so anytime they wanted to really demean you, they would show you your foot. Right? If they showed their foot, and if they showed you the bottom of the foot, that was by far the most demeaning. The foot was viewed as this completely disrespectful thing. So, like, for example, maybe you've seen this, but when they're actually in riots over in the Middle East, okay, and they're actually wrestling and they're trying to make a statement, if they're really upset, they'll take their shoe off and they'll hold it in the air, showing the bottom of their foot. They're like, oh, yeah, this is what I think of you. I'm showing you my foot, like I'm demeaning you right now. What's being said here is they will become his footstool under his feet. They will lift up and hold the smallest, the weakest, the most demeaning part of the greatness of Jesus Christ. They sit under that. Jesus Christ is over all, and he is absolutely going to put to an end all rebellion. They will be under his authority. Jesus Christ, he will reign, he will rule, he will dominate, and please hear me, and the pain and the brokenness and the stupidities of this world will be done. And all of God's people said, with Jesus Christ ruling over all, we look to him as our great king and savior. It says, for by a single offering, right, Jesus Christ alone dying on the cross, his provision, a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I'm not sure if there's a more powerful explanation of our walk today as believers than this verse. This is absolutely stunning and it's really important to slow down and see the verbs, all right? So it says, he has perfected. Are you hearing it? Has perfected. Hear the past tense? Like it happened in the past and it's still good today. He has perfected. He has made complete. He has declared his plan. He has done this. It's done and over. He has perfected. And then it says, those who are being, are you hearing it? In the ongoing form, those who are being sanctified. Those who are step by step being made to look more like him. He has perfected those who are being sanctified. Maybe here's another way to put it. We used to say it this way, right? When you think of justification. First, the Father declares over us what he is going to do, and then he begins to do it in us. 
The declaring over us is with all authority and and power. He has perfected. The Father declaring, this one is mine. This is a child of God. He is adopted into my home. She is adopted in as a child. And I will love her forever. This one will be home in glory, perfect in every way. This one is perfect. And the angels are like, that one? I don't see it, man. I'm seeing a lot of problems. And God's like, hang on. Now watch me do it in them. One degree of glory at a time. You and me, as we are transformed one little bit at a time, are living our lives declaring out, do you see the authority God the Father has? What he has declared in my life is becoming true a little bit more every day. May God get all the glory. And man, please hear me, this is so easy for us as believers to get caught up and really twisted up in this, right? He's declared us perfected or complete, and yet we wrestle with our sin life, and we wrestle with our brokenness. Please hear me, God is not caught off guard by that. He has declared in this passage, that's the plan. I'm going to walk you a little bit at a time. Come with me and watch me do an amazing work in your life. And God giving us an amazing hope in him. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He's already done. And so now he's continuing to do the work daily in us. And all of God's people said. That's a huge promise to be able to grab onto. You know, this past week we had some great weather, right? It's got uh, nice and warm, like up into the 70s even, and just amazing spring weather. And then not right after it, right? As it was crashing down into winterish kind of stuff, cold and rainy and all that. And, uh, and then back up again, nice day today. And so praise God for it. And, you know, Thursday night I came home and it was about 5.30 and it was still warm out. And I was like, man, there were some things we should have done to the yard back in the fall that we chose not to do. You know what I mean? Like in November when you're like, that needs to be done. And you're like, ah, who cares? It's going to snow, whatever. Let's leave it alone. And now you look at it and you're like, why did we do that? Right? And so now I'm like, I got to go out and work on these grasses. We have some of those, you know, those tall ornamental grasses that you like put around the power thing that's out in your front yard. Right? And you're like, let's cover that up. It looks kind of ugly. So we'll put these grasses around it. Yeah. Well, our grass is all kind of, we have the kind of grasses that sort of get heavy when they get wet. So they just sort of lay over. So all winter long, they just collapse down and look terrible. They look like we feel all winter. You know what I'm saying? They're just sort of laying down over it. And, and by the time spring comes, you come back by and you're like, we got to do something with that. These things look terrible. So normally that's a two-person job. Normally John and I go out there and she'll like hold them up and I cut underneath and then we end up piling those up and take them away and throw them out, right? So we get them nice and cleaned up. Well, this year John is kind of incapacitated, haven't had the surgery. She's doing well, by the way. Things are going really well and healing fast. Uh, she's getting around on the scooter fast. Y'all better... Stay out of the way, man. She's on the scooter and moving, but not able to get out and help. So I was out there doing a one-man show. So I get out there doing this thing, and like you're holding up these grasses and trying to cut blindly underneath. I'm like, I'm going to lose a limb on this thing. You know, you can feel you're getting out of control, and you're like trying to, and you're leaning over, and it probably a half hour, 40 minutes, and all of a sudden, my back is aching as I'm cutting through these, and I've gotten like half, three-quarters of it done, and I'm like how long does this stuff take? You know, I was 
I mean, literally 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I finally just had to quit for a bit. I went in, got some water. I'm just pounding the water. I'm just, I looked at her, I said, I don't know if I'm going to finish this, man. This is a lot to get done tonight. And I went out, started to cut again. My back started to ache. So I just, I just laid down in the grass. I just lay down, I'm staring up at the sky, relaxing, enjoying the breeze, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to get this done. i got to try harder here, and I'm just wiped out, and I'm trying to take a break in between. I get back up, I finish cutting it all, get it all kind of cut and taken away, and, and then actually the worst part, have you ever noticed this? The worst part of doing those kind of jobs is when you're putting this stuff away and you're having to roll in the extension cord, and it's like 100 feet out there, and it's the last thing you're doing and your back is killing and you're rolling it in and you look up and it's only 50 feet away now. And you're like, is it ever going to get here, man? Like you can barely get, once you get it in, I'm like, I just got to put this thing away. You go in and put it away. Went in and took a shower. John and I agreed to watch a movie together. I have no idea what we watched. I fell asleep right away. Just wiped out from two hours of working out there. But um, the reality, man, I was wiped out. I was laying down along the way. I had to take breaks to get through. Please hear me. That is not Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He walked it full. He went to the cross. He died and he rose. He delivered it up to the Father. And then he sat down, not wiped out. He sat down declaring, it is finished. It is done. This work complete. Hang on for the next. Man, God is going to rock our world when he enters into this atmosphere and his glory beams around the world. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like as the thunderous greatness of the king of the universe lights this place up with Jesus Christ coming back. God has a plan. And Jesus Christ is our king, and he does it with his feet up. And all of God's people said, man, do you know this king? Do you worship this savior? Do you believe that he is risen? Do you confess him as your Lord? Please take over. May we long for Jesus to get all the glory. Point number two. Praise God that we have forgiveness of sins with no need of any additional sacrifices. Praise God that we have forgiveness of sins with no need of any additional sacrifices. It says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, right? The Father's will over it all, the Son willingly coming down, and the Holy Spirit bearing witness, Him conveying the truth to us, comforting us, revealing to us who Christ is and our need for Him. The Holy Spirit bearing witness after saying, and uh, now he quotes from Jeremiah 31 again. We actually had looked at that a couple weeks back. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34, but he says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, declares the Lord. Here's the new covenant. Remember, when you establish a new will, when you establish a new covenant, a new testament, then the old has to be set aside, voided and written out and set aside in full. And so he says, this is the new covenant, declares the Lord, the second one. He says, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The new covenant, I'm going to put the law on their hearts and minds, just so we're super clear. The old covenant, I will put the law on pieces of stone 
And you can read them and they will be external and they will call you to external commands. It was all about the outside. The Old Testament covenant was a shadow of the things to come. Even the tablets itself with the laws on it representing our heart and the work that Christ would do. And as we trust in him, him doing a changing work in us, our hearts being transformed, we start to get the law in a whole different way. As Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, look, you know how the Old Testament law says, don't murder your brother. And they're like, yeah. And he said, here's also a commandment. And don't hate your brother. It's the same as murder. Can you imagine being a Jewish person and hearing that? Whoa. Dude, it is hard enough to keep these physical external laws. And now you're throwing all of this internal feelings, heart stuff on me. Are you kidding me? This is going to be so hard to walk. And Jesus is like, you're not doing it alone. Hang on. I'm going to rock your world. I'm going to change your heart and mind. I'm going to write the law on your heart. It means he's going to actually give you the desire to go there. Please hear me, man. The plan is not for you to somehow hear some external rules and make yourself get in line. And man, if you're starting to live the Christian walk that way, we're missing it. It isn't about trying to muscle it, make it work from the outside. It's the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out. It's God doing an internal work in us, giving us the law on our hearts and on our minds. May God get all the glory. I just wrote it down this way. Like sun is to a tan, so the glory of the Holy Spirit is to your transforming heart. Like sun is to a tan, right? If you step outside, you get in the sun, you get that tan look coming from the sun. If you don't, everybody knows who didn't go outside during the summer, right? As you end up being kind of that more pale look, you haven't been out in the sun much, and I'm not basking in the sun's brightness, and it's not tanning my skin. Well, man, I'm just telling you the same with the transforming of our heart. If we don't get in the glory of God, if we don't worship Him, There is no glory pouring on. There is no changing happening. The only change is you trying to make it look like there's change. That's not the plan. It's us basking in the glory of God, worshiping him. Please hear me on these words. The way that looks is you being stunned with who he is and thanking him for who he is and praising him for who he is, stepping out of your house and into worship with the glory of the Holy Spirit. As you bask in his glory, he will transform your heart as the sun gives a tan to the skin. And it's all about us being in the glory of God. It says, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. The work of Christ is not to just give rules, but to begin to change the soul to clear up the conscience, to remove sin from us and from his remembrance, forgiveness. Jesus doing an amazing work. And uh, I just wrote these words down. When sin is addressed by Jesus, when sin is addressed by Jesus, he forgives my yesterday, he transforms my today, and he guarantees my tomorrow. When sin is addressed by Jesus, He forgives my yesterday. He transforms my today. And he guarantees my tomorrow. 
the work of Jesus Christ in my life. Man, all too often, we as believers only live the, he forgives my yesterday. But he transforms my today. He guarantees my tomorrow. Do you know this God and all of his authority, all of his love, all of his power? He says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Once our sin is truly forgiven in Jesus Christ, there is no need for any other. Too many people selling the plan, Jesus and. That is not what scripture says. Jesus only. He is the almighty creator. He is the one with all authority. He is the one who is our hope and our power and our tomorrow and our guarantee. May we lean on him with all we've got. Jesus is our everything. Do you know the one with all authority? Do you know the one who is the almighty creator? May we cry out his name. May we celebrate him in all that he is and may God get all the glory. It is about Jesus Christ only. Everything else is but a shadow pointing to him. Our hope is in Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.